to fellowship. We were created to, through friendships, through companionships, through relationships, uh, to fellowship with one another. And uh, that's something that's very important to our society right now because as a society, we're pretty divided in a lot of areas and arenas of this, in this world. But yet we should be pulling together and being united through fellowships and relationships and companionships and partnerships and those types of things. And the, when you, this word tonight, you should either receive it as unto yourself or you should receive it to be able to take it and share with somebody else. I mean, we're supposed to share the word of God. We're to hear the word of God and then what we hear, we're to share. Because there are folks that aren't here tonight to hear what we're going to be talking about. But I promise you this issue is very relevant in their lives so I pray that you listen at least to know that you can take this word to them and help share the gospel with them and help encourage their lives as well. That's what the Lord wants us to do. So if you have your Bibles, I'm going to be in Genesis chapter 1. And we're going to begin tonight by reading how life was created and how it's meant to be good. There's a lot of people who don't think life is so good. Two things I want you to grasp though tonight is, number one, that God created this vast universe and everything in it, and he called it good. So let's read and confirm this. I'm going to go to Genesis 1. I'm going to be laying a foundation, so I want you to stay with me. And uh, believe it or not, there could be someone here tonight who has never read this chapter. This is the very first chapter of the Bible that explains so much about all of creation I remember after I got saved, and I wouldn't advise anybody to do this, but I just didn't really have an instructor right after I got saved, someone to mentor me. Uh, but I started reading right here on page one. Hey, I'm saved. I'm going to read the Bible. I knew I was supposed to read the Bible, so I opened up to page one. But I did learn some things. And it was, it was amazing how that God took that and revealed some things to me through the Scripture. But it is one chapter that every believer should have read by now. If you haven't read by now, guess what? Tonight, you're going to have the opportunity to hear the first chapter of Genesis, which should explain a lot of things and confirm a lot of things tonight. And by reading, I want to prove to you there was nothing made that God didn't create according to John 1 and 1. And to, be, to better understand creation, you got to know who the creator is. So here we go. It might seem a little bit lengthy to you, but you need to know this. We, if you do know it, you need to rehear it. And because uh, it'll go along to make this message have, make sense. God declared it. He said, I created it. And it was all good. It says, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void and darkness was on the face of the deep. And the spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. Then God said... Let there be light, and there was light. And God saw the light, and that it was good, and God divided the light from the darkness. God called the light day, and the darkness he called night. Now, that may not mean a lot to you, but once again, it brings back memories to me. When I first read that, I said, oh, that's how that happened. I didn't know how the world was created. I had no knowledge of it at all. But upon reading his word, though, I got an explanation of a lot of things. Then it said, God said, let there be a firmament in the midst of the waters. Let it divide the waters from the waters. Thus God made the firmament and divide the waters which were under the firmament from the waters which were above the firmament, and it was so. And God called the firmament heaven. So the evening and the morning were the second day. 
Then God said, let the water and the heavens be gathered together into one place, and let the dry land appear, and it was so. And God called the dry land earth, and gathering together of other waters, he called seas, and God saw that it was good. Then God said, let the earth bring forth grass, the herb that yields seed, and the fruit tree that yields fruit according to its kind, whose seed in itself on the earth, and it was so. And the earth brought forth grass, the herb that yields seed according to its kind, and the tree that yields fruit, whose seed is in itself according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. So then you're catching on. So the evening and the morning were the third day. Then God said, let there be light in the firmament of the heavens to divide the day from the night, and let there be for signs and seasons and for days and years. And let them be for the lights in the firmament and the heavens to give light on the earth. And it was so. Then God made two great lights, the greater light to rule the day and the lesser light to rule the night. He made the stars also. God set them in the firmament of the heavens to give the light on the earth and to rule over the day and over the night and to divide the light from the darkness. And God saw that it was. So the evening and the morning were the fourth day. Then God said, let the waters abound from the abundance of living creatures and let birds fly above the earth across the face of the firmament of the heavens. So God created great sea creatures and every living thing that moves with which with the waters abounded according to their kind and every winged bird according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. And God blessed them saying, be fruitful and multiply and fill the waters and the seas and let birds multiply on the earth. So the evening and the morning were the fifth day. Then God said, let the earth bring forth living creature according to its kind, cattle and creeping thing and the beast of the earth, each according to its kind, and it was so. And God made the beast of the earth and according to its kind, cattle according to its kind, everything that creeps on the earth according to its kind, and God saw that it was. Then God said, let us make man in our image. According to our likeness, let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, and over the cattle, over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. Then God blessed them, and God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth, subdue, have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, and over every living thing that moves on the earth. And God said, See, I have given you every herb that yields seed, which is on the face of the earth, and every tree whose fruit yields seed. To you it shall be for food. Also to every beast of the earth, to every bird of the air, and to everything that creeps on the earth in which there is life, I have given every green herb for food, and it was so. Then God saw everything that he had made, and indeed it was very good. So the evening and the morning were the sixth day. So I want to go on then to chapter 2. And continue into chapter 2, after creating the heavens and the earth, in verses 1 through 17, it says that God rested from all the work that he had done. So here we have God has created man, God has placed him in a garden, and God has instructed man how to live, and declares all is good. Thank you. But something happens in verse 18. Up until this point, God says everything is good. The sun, the moon, the stars, the land, man, animals, every creepy little creepy thing is good. Until verse 18, where we see the very first thing in Scripture that God says isn't good. Let's read it. Verse 18. And the Lord said, it's not good for man to be alone. I will make him a helper comparable to him. So God created Eve's 
So now we have Adam and Eve. We don't have Adam and Steve. Of everything God created that he called good. The one thing, the first thing he called not good is for Adam to be alone. That's the point. It's what I wanted to get to tonight. God says that loneliness is not good. And I believe every one of us would agree to that. There's not a one of us who haven't found ourselves in a place all alone at some point in our life. And I believe all would agree it wasn't a good place to be. Why there are times you can be in a room full of people and you can feel all alone. There are some perhaps who are in that place that are lonely or all alone. It is a very hard place to be. And God said that it was not good to be alone. To be void of a physical relationship is a lonely place. It can, has, or will happen at some point to every one of us. Relationships are very important to our life. Healthy ones, though. Some are in relationships that aren't healthy to their life. They haven't been good for you. Many times because out of loneliness and the desperate need for companionship, you've settled for whoever. You see, in Scripture, God made someone specifically for Adam. There is someone specifically for everyone. The problem too often is we aren't willing to wait for the right one. And loneliness many times drives us to settle. Relationships should be built by choice. You should consciously choose your relationships in life. Friendships are important. Marital relationships are important. Loneliness, loneliness is not a respecter of persons, regardless of your age. It is a part of our makeup. We were made to fellowship. We were made to desire companionship and to, and to think. There are six billion people in the world, and there are people who are finding themselves alone. Loneliness is often created by circumstances, as well as too often by our own choice. We are lonely, and we enter into a relationship. It goes wrong, or it ends. And we too often choose to seclude ourselves, one minute longing to be with someone, the next one not wanting to be around anyone. But after a period of time, we once again desire a relationship, a friendship. It's our nature, folks. And how is it possible for someone to be surrounded by a group of people yet feel so lonely at times? Be in a family setting. Be so lonely. Be at a family reunion and you sit in a corner all alone. Be in a church of this size and you feel so all alone. Because the truth of the matter is, the facts are, you aren't alone. Just look around. Physically, there are people around you. So how can it be it comes from a spirit of inferiority or intimidation? In other words, it's based upon feelings. You feel like no one likes you. You feel like you have nothing in common with everyone else. You feel like you're the only one with a problem. You feel like you're out of your comfort zone. You feel like at times everyone's talking about you. You feel like you're inadequate. There's times you feel like you're stupid. There's times you feel uncomfortable. There's times we feel like we're not good enough. You must understand, though, feelings can lead you astray. Feelings can mislead you, and feelings can even deceive you. 
And the bottom line is you have a low self-esteem due to the fact at some point in your life, rejection has crushed your self-worth. Come on now, I'm getting somewhere. You have allowed circumstances or someone to dictate to you you're nothing and you deserve nothing and no one. Well, I have come tonight to beg to differ. That's not how God believes and feels about you. God didn't create you to be lonely and of no importance. You weren't created to be in some exclusive group of nobodies without nobody. You and me and each and every one of us was uniquely created by God. There's not another one like you. So if you're the only one of you he made, then you've got something to add to this world that this world didn't have till he created you. Every single one of us has a destiny given to us by God, our creator. Before you was ever formed in your mother's womb, according to Jeremiah chapter 1, God knew you and had a plan for you. Then he declared in Jeremiah 29, I know the thoughts I have toward you. They're thoughts of peace. It's his will that you prosper and be in good health even as your soul prospers. So let's not get deceived into thinking you're a nobody. That is why you have nobody. Until you believe you're somebody, you will struggle with having some, somebody, and most times you'll just settle for anybody. We were created to fellowship with one another. We need friendships. We need relationships. We need companionships. We need partners. We need teammates. We need groups. There are so many people, though, who feel so left out. I'll tell you where it started. In the early childhood, through an act of rejection that molded your thinking of yourself. Folks, that's why bonding at birth is so important. From the very first touch of a mother, her affection, it begins to mold her baby's emotional structure. <clears throat> By if the mother is affectionate and gentle and kind, she will be. But if the mother is uncaring, rough, uncompassionate, she will be. If the environment the baby is raised in is pleasant, peaceful, loving, so will be the emotions of the child versus whether it's hostile, loud, verbal aggression, tension, those things will affect the emotional structure of a child. And all these variations are key to the framework of a child's emotions. The early years, nursery, to kindergarten, to grade school, to junior high, to high school, through the years, the circumstances, the rejections, the abuse you've experienced can have long-lasting impact on an individual's life in how they are able to associate with people, how they handle relationships, how they are able to socialize. As kids, if you're told you're stupid and you believe it, you will probably believe you're stupid. If you're abused, you'll be told it was all your fault, and if you believe it, then you'll leave your life believing that it was your fault when it wasn't your fault. If told you'll never amount to nothing and you believe it, chances are you will never amount to nothing. If rejected and given up, you will tend to believe nobody wants you. If someone loses a family member, they don't want to have a relationship for fear of losing them. Don't want to feel the hurt again by getting into another relationship. As a kid, you put, your, you put into a social group Based upon that little bitty tag in the back of your shirt, does it say Hilfiger or Kmart? 
By the name on the side of your shoes, does it say Nike or Dollar General? But whether you live on the north side of the tracks or whether you live on the south side of the tracks, these circumstances and stereotyping created an image in us of ourselves. And then when we allow them to dictate to us our perimeters of our life based upon our emotional feelings, I can go here, but I can't go there. I can hang out with this type, but I can't hang out with that type. I'm only comfortable with this group, so I'll never be in their group. He's too rich for me. She's too pretty for me. I'm not smart enough to become. They're too good for me. All these preconceived ideals that have been built by experiencing experiences and circumstances and rejections and by people that dictate, dictate to us our self-worth that classify us, that bind us, that limit us, and that hinders us from being all who God has called us to be, that isolates us from fellowship, companionship, friendships, and relationships with other people, if we allow them to. Loneliness is generated from feelings of if I'm not good enough, of a rejection, or I don't deserve, or this is what I deserve. Nobody likes me. All things stemming back to early childhood indoctrination of one's self-worth. Allowing someone or something to dictate to you your classification in this life. And it is a lie from the pits of hell. You can do all things through Christ who strengthens you. You have to believe in you. You can't love someone until you love you. It's scriptural. In Ephesians, it says you have to love you. Regardless of what people say, there's nothing that can stop you from being you except you. If you're a quitter, you chose to be a quitter. If you're a loser, you chose to be a loser. You're living your life all by emotions and experiences if you've experienced throughout your childhood and through your life. You're making decisions always based upon your emotions. How you feel at the time is how you react, whether it's right or wrong. And you become this huge emotional roller coaster that everyone around you is afraid to ride. Therefore, making it hard for you to retain relationships People who are lonely feel inferior, feel intimidated, feel unworthy, are bitter, are rebellious, or they're angry. Some of the most friendly people in the world complain the most about not having friends. Is that wrong? What the Bible says for you to have friends, you must show yourself friendly. You receive what you give. Is that biblical? I can take you to the scripture that reinforces reap what you sow. You know how this works? You want love? Give love. You want friends? Be friendly. You want affection? Give affection. What's the word of God say? Give and it shall be given unto you. Reaping and sowing is a biblical principle that's not confined to economics. You sow sparingly, you reap sparingly. Only friendly to a few people, you're probably going to find you only have a few friends. Have you ever seen anybody that has a ton of friends 
Why? Because they're friendly to a ton of people. They're that the more the merrier type. Ever seen people with just a few friends? Most likely friendly to just a few people. Have you seen people who can only have one friend at a time? It's not because there's only one person in the whole world who wants to be their friend. It's because they only want one friend. It's usually because it's about control. We want to blame everyone else. You have to show yourself friendly. The responsibility is yours, and you have to assume the responsibility. There is no way you can go around being friendly and not have friends. How can someone come in here and find all kinds of friends, and then someone else can come in here and can't even find one? Come on. It's because they initiate it. You can't because you always want to reap what you didn't sow. It's like wanting to pull up to a farmer's field with a bag and pick his corn. You don't want to do the work. You just want to be in on the receiving end always. And that doesn't work. Do the same thing in a relationship. You know why a lot of them don't work out? It's because all you do is take from it and contribute nothing to it. Then we wonder why we're lonely. You have to give to a relationship as much, if not more, than you are taking from a relationship. Otherwise, you do nothing but drain the other person. You've heard like me, when a friendship or a relationship has ended, the words of a parting one are as such, I got tired of always having to be the one who, all he wanted from me was, I always had to be the one. She never once did anything. You're hearing the frustration of people who have been depleted by someone through a friendship or relationship or a partnership when it became one-sided. A relationship is give and take. The Bible says what? It's more blessed to give than to receive. If you don't have a relationship, if you're lonely, I'll tell you the fastest way to begin to solve your problem. Start giving to someone or something. Now, be careful what you start giving to, because the scripture tells us to what? Sow into good ground. You go sow into, into and start giving to a bad ground, you're going to get bad stuff in return. You're going to get wounded, you're going to get rejected, and you're going to get hurt. Choose your relationships by design, not by default. Know where you want to go and go for it. Give, sow, sow your time, sow your gifts, sow your talent, sow your compassion. Be a giver and not just a receiver. It's a principle found time and time again. God declares if you give, you will receive. He declares you'll reap what you sow. For God so loved the world, the people, that he gave his only begotten son. He gave for what? In return for fellowship with mankind, for a relationship with mankind. God has given more to mankind than mankind can ever give back to God. If you feel alone that God has abandoned you, it's because there again, you're not giving anything to the relationship. You just want to be on the receiving end. Your service, your ministry, your prayer life cannot be all about you. Do you pray for you more than you do others? If you're lonely, give, and you will find connection. It's sad to hear how many people who say they have no friends. Their conclusion is always, nobody likes me. 
If that is true, then ask the right question. Why does nobody like me? And be honest with yourself. Usually it's an exaggeration. Usually it means there's someone they want to like them that don't. There's a certain group they want to be in but can't find a way in it. It's usually because they feel like their circumstances or their social status would permit, permit them from doing so. Low self-esteem. It's a great hindrance to many. So many people have missed the mark cause it. They missed their calling because of it. When you're in a room full of people and you feel all alone with even your family, there's a self-esteem problem. You don't understand this about God, that God didn't make any junk. Now, there's a difference being confident and being arrogant. Arrogancy is self-promoting. Confidence is self-promoting. I'm sorry. Confidence is self-supporting. In other words, you believe what God says about you. When there is confidence in God, there is an internal strength that pushes you against all odds and criticism to be who God says that you can be. You believe in you because you believe what God said about you, not what man thinks about you. That you can do all things through Christ who will strengthen you. Being a certain clique or club will never define who you truly are. And I can tell you a sign, a pendant, a degree, a bumper sticker will never validate you. It's what's in here that secures your emotions. That regardless of what men say, God says you can and that you are. See, a lot of loneliness is a trick of the enemy. He wants to seclude you. He wants you to be all alone. Then he'll wear you out. But we've seen from the opening scripture that God says it's not good for man to be alone. And Ecclesiastes 4, 9 through 10 reinforces this and tells of the importance of having relationships and friendships with family. You have a personal responsibility for your life and what you do or don't do with it. Your life has been and will always be full of choices, and the choices that you make will play a part in molding your life. Right choices are going to bring what? Right things to your life. Wrong choices are going to bring decisions that you're going to make that's going to be regretful in your life. What role, though, does the church have, though, in another person's life? Do we have a responsibility to others? I believe we do. Jesus was asked, what was the greatest commandment? And the answer was, to love thy neighbor as thyself. There again, got to love yourself, then what? Then love your neighbor just like that. <clears throat> so yes, we have a responsibility to another person's life. As a believer, I'm not to be selfish. I'm not to be self-centered. It's not pleasing to God. I'm to exhort, I'm to lift up, and I am to encourage other people. I am to be an ambassador of Jesus Christ. And folks, an ambassador represents his king or his leader. He doesn't speak for himself. He speaks for the one who sent him. 
Loneliness is not good. It leads to depression. It can lead to displacement. It can lead to self-destruction, often caused by rejection, inferiority, tragedies, circumstances. But you know what? Most often by choice. And loneliness leads to bad choices. It leads to compromising. To have friends, you must show yourself friendly. And don't choose your friends by default. Don't build friendships by manipulation or deception. Don't be unequally yoked. In friendships to grow, give and it shall be given unto you. I want to say it again. You want love, you give love. You want stability, be stable. You want to be visited, then visit. Believe in who God says you are, uniquely created, that you're a pearl bought with a great price, that you are beautiful in the eyes of the beholder, that inner beauty far exceeds outer beauty. You have to overcome inferiority. You have to overcome mindsets. You have to overcome condemnation. You have to be willing to forgive. These are the things that you have to do. There are a lot of lonely people in this well-populated nation. Lots of people that are sitting in churches that claim to be lonely. Lots of people sitting in family reunions that claim to be lonely. Lots of people sitting in your workplaces claiming to be lonely. When there's millions and billions of people surrounding us, what is wrong? What is wrong is you don't understand truly who you are in the eyes of the Lord. You don't truly understand. You were uniquely created. The reason why you are like you are is because God created you to be like that. The way you look was created by your heavenly father. He thinks it's beautiful. He loves you beyond measure. He wants good for you. He knows the thoughts that he has towards you, the thoughts of peace, thoughts of love. He has an expected end for you. There is no reason why you should be lonely. Too often, I'm dealing, dealing right now with the individual responsibility. Too often, it's by your own choice that you have believed a lie. You've bought into a lie because of a hurt or rejection or something that happened in your life. Or you listen to man more than you listen to the word of God. And by doing so, he has created inferiority and intimidation in your life that you're not willing to put yourself forward and put yourself out there and do what God has called you to do and has equipped you to do and given you the provision to do. That's the individual responsibility. You have to believe you are who God said you are. But then the other responsibility I'm going to talk about tonight concerning is the responsibility of the church, of the body of Christ, to help those who don't believe in who they are, that we help them to believe who they are. That we look around us and we look for those who have foresight, look beside us, behind us, and in front of us. We pass them by each and every day that we look at other people's lives and we encourage and we exhort and we edify and we tell them that they are worth something. We tell them that they are beautiful. We tell them they can be somebody. We have to encourage people to believe what God has said about their lives. We have a role and a responsibility to do that as a church, as believers. Because there's a lot of people who don't think this life is good. 
We have a lot of people that are in the bondage of addiction right now simply because they're trying to pass each and every day because they don't feel good about themselves. They don't feel good about how they look. They don't feel good about where they live. They don't feel good about how they were raised. They don't feel good about the relationships that went wrong. They don't feel good about the tragedies they've experienced in their life. They don't feel good about this life. So in return, they don't feel good about themselves, and they think they have been, been put into captivity, and they are bound. They're living in spiritual prisons. They don't believe there's any hope or any way out, but there has to be a church that's willing to loose them, to set them free, to help them, and to tell them that they are worth something. God told each and every one of us we are uniquely created, and it's our responsibility to share the same word of God to those who don't believe it, that they have been uniquely created by God, and they have something to offer to the kingdom of God. Give God praise. Loneliness. It's a terrible thing. It's a bad thing. And it usually has to do with how one feels of itself. How one feels about their self-worth. Just remember this. You. And I say that individually. You. You. We're worthy enough in God's eyes that he sent his only son to be beaten, mocked, crucified on an old rugged cross for you. You, I, we were all in his eyes worthy enough to him that he died so that we could live. Would you stand with me tonight?